0: To listen to Memory Card episodes early and ad-free, consider supporting the show via Patreon at patreon.com memcard. Hey there, video game fans. Well, wait, is that what I normally say? Hey there, video game fans. Yeah, it is. I it's been a while. Did I say hey, video game fans? Or I'd say hey there?
1: I think you say hey there.
0: I don't even know anymore. Hey there. Oh, boy. Hey there, video game fans. I'm Ben Bertoli. And I'm Push Dustin. And this is memory card. So Push, when you were a kid, actually when we were kids, because we're roughly the same age, uh, arcades were kind of on their way out. They were definitely like fading away, Mm -hmm. mid-90s and such. Was there anywhere that you went as a kid where there was lots of arcade units and games?
1: So um, when I was a kid, like my dad actually worked in a, a bowling alley. And so because of that, there was actually like three or four arcades kind of like in this game center area of the bowling alley. And so whenever he would work and I would be there like either after school or, you know, waiting for him to get off of work. um, Sometimes I would play arcade games there in particular. I would actually play uh, some pinball games.
0: Oh, nice.
1: The owner of the um, bowling alley, his name was like, I think his name was Nano. He uh, had an old computer that actually used floppy disk and everything like that. It was, probably relevant at the time i think <laughs> <laughs> kind of dating myself there but i remember like inserting the floppy disk and playing um some pinball games on on his computer and also in real life i was pretty short so i couldn't see over the the pinballs thing so i had to stand <laughs> up on one of those stools
0: yeah this was in high school right yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel like the only places that really had them when we were growing up, at least, uh, in my neck of the woods were like pizza places sometimes and like bowling alleys. And there was this one, uh, place where I grew up that was called bogeys that had like, uh, go-kart racing and like, uh, baseball cages. Mm. And they had like an arcade where you could win like tickets and prizes, but there was a part of the arcade for, you know, for fun. You didn't, you didn't win any prizes by winning street fighter or mortal Kombat. You just like gotta beat people up yeah that's that's the place that i played the most like arcade games and pinball games um i distinctly remember playing uh hydro thunder right the boat racing game quite a bit Mm -hmm. yeah that kind of brings us to our topic today because we're going to be talking not exactly about pinball games well we're going to be talking about games that have pinball in them (laughs) that are video games but not actual physical pinball units
1: virtual pinball tables
0: that's right So let's get it going. So as uh, the dedicated fans of this show know, because I know we have so many. A couple seasons ago, I think back actually in the fall of 2020, we talked about pinball, the actual you know game itself, and why it was illegal there for a while, and some uh, fun facts about, you know, people mm-hmm. taking pinball machines behind City Hall and smashing them with hammers and things. <laughs> so if you haven't uh, listened to that episode, you don't have to to uh, understand this one, but you definitely should because I, I, it's really interesting. Lots of cool little uh, fun facts. So I that's uh, season four. I want to say uh, it's called Tilted. I'm not sure which episode mm-hmm. it is exactly, but check that one out. So push. We uh, we chose a couple games each uh, that we're going to be talking about today. Some of them didn't have a ton of information, but they still were kind of interesting. So we included them. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. Some of these are going to have some awesome deep background, and others are just going to be like, whoa, check this out (laughs) for a few seconds, and then we'll get back to a different one. Yeah. I am going to start off with one that I actually discovered while I was researching for um, an article for A Profound Waste of Time, which is an awesome uh, gaming magazine that I I wrote a a feature article for, and that article was about the history of Hal Laboratory, who um, everybody knows as the creator of uh, Kirby. And uh, they worked on Smash Brothers there at the start and lots of other games. Mm -hmm. But one of the ones that kind of stuck out to me was this game that was called Revenge of the Gator. Do you know about this game, Push? Have you heard of this game? Actually, I don't. Okay, well, perfect. Then I can clue you in. Now, it's only called Revenge of the Gator in uh, north america in europe it was known as pinball revenge of the gator okay and uh, the japanese title i'm going to get to here in a bit because it it takes a little more explanation (laughs) (laughs) although i will i will say like i don't understand if you're supposed to be representing the gator in the game and you're getting revenge on somebody else or if the gator Mm -hmm. is getting revenge on you for like uh, playing pinball with it
1: yeah there's so many different ways this could be interpreted
0: yeah I actually um, looked on eBay to see how much this game was and someone was selling it with another Game Boy game that was like, it was called like The Gator. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, you know, we have The Gator and Revenge of the Gator, but I don't think they realized that those games were in no way (laughs) (laughs) related to each other. It's the Gator Pack. Yeah. They were like, well, the Gator shows up and then he wants revenge. I'm like, well, yeah, but this is a pinball game. That other one's like an action platformer or something. So obviously this is a alligator-themed uh, pinball game. It's full of all sorts of uh, alligators. It came out in uh, 1989. It was actually the second game that HAL ever developed for the Game Boy. Mm-hmm. The first being a game called Shanghai, which is like a dragon puzzle game. Um, and it only came out a few months before. So this was one of the earliest HAL titles on Game Boy. And it's, it's pretty basic. There's only like... I think there's four main boards that like your ball can travel up and down through you can't switch it to anything else Mm -hmm. and if your ball drops through the bottom um like one screen is just like this gator down below that like eats your ball it's pretty cute they obviously like insert uh gators like throughout and uh, there was two player you could play two player by um like you play a round and then you hand off the game boy to somebody else or you could play two player through the link cable Mm -hmm. I feel like I didn't really use the link cable much outside of Pokemon as a kid. Did you? Uh,
1: Let's see. I'm trying to think of what games I had that would use it.
0: I feel like I only had a few and it never seemed like it was like worth it, like worth the hassle of figuring out like how to jam it in there and get it all set up. Yeah, it was probably pretty easy now that I think about it. But
1: I think I definitely got it for Pokemon. Yeah, because I remember mine was being like clear. Oh, so I had I had a later one. I didn't have the the first generation link cable.
0: Yeah, like the black. Yeah, like normal. Yeah, not the most exciting looking accessory, but it is it is kind of neat. So if you wanted to, you could go head to head in Revenge of the Gator and kind of knock the ball back and forth. And then if you know if it fell on your side, then the other person got a point. And outside of that original normal board full of gators. There were um, some bonus stages where you had to like make a gator fall in the water. Mm -hmm. There's one where you had to uh, hit these little uh, eggs, gator eggs, and then they would hatch, and the gators inside had wings and they'd like fly around, which is not not normal for gators, uh, from what I've heard. Yeah. And then there was another one where you had to like hit a bunch of little gators and then make this big one come out. You had to hit him with the ball. Pretty standard stuff. Now it gets kind of interesting when we talk about the Japan version, which was known as pinball, the great sixty six alligator parade. Oh. Completely different than the North American name. No revenge. It sounds exciting. It does. And I mean, if you heard that name, what would be your first question, Push?
1: Um, what are they celebrating? <laughs>
0: that's not what I was expecting you to say. Yeah, that's a good question too. I don't think they cover that in the game. Oh. But my question when I read that was are there actually sixty six alligators in this game? hmm And so um, Googling in English, I got nothing. But when I plugged it in, when I plugged in the Japanese kanji into Google dot, you know, JP, one of the first hits was like, hey, are there 66 alligators in this game? (laughs) And some guy like broke it down, like screen by screen, like pointing out every single alligator. And uh, by the end, he was kind of struggling. He was at about like 63 or 64 alligators. Mm -hmm. And he was like, like, that's it. I can't find any more alligators but then he realized that the the logo for the game oh. had two alligator had two alligator mouths in it and he was like all right those are the last two wow <laughs> like, that's it i'm counting it as 66 so i'm not sure why they decided to put that exact number on there because mm-hmm. it seems kind of like arbitrary like why not call it like yep. pinball alligator parade why 66 allig- it's weird
1: I mean, like when you have the number, it sets the expectation in your head, and you're you're going in there, and you're like, I know exactly, I'm gonna see sixty six alligators.
0: <laughs> right. You would think that like when the ball hit an alligator, it'd like start a tally in the corner, like one, two, three, oh, yeah. <laughs> hit all sixty six alligators. One well, yeah, I mean... alligator. Ha ha ha. <laughs> yeah, but then you'd have to lose your ball at some point and have it eaten for it to count that alligator. So. Oh. This game actually came out uh, for the Nintendo 3DS. So if you're like, hey, I want to play Revenge of the Gator, you probably can if you own a 3DS. Um, I believe the eShop's still up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For that, it is. So yeah, I bet it. I bet it's a couple of bucks. Um, the reviews for it were like decent. I think it got like a 30 out of 40, mm-hmm. and uh, femitsu which gave it the Silver Hall of Fame award. Okay. Not bad, and definitely a, a kind of a precursor to Kirby's Pinball and Pokemon Pinball, which uh, I believe Hal helped with both of those. Mm-hmm. oh you know what we forgot to mention is that we're completely ignoring oh yeah straight up nintendo pinball games in this we're trying to stay away from those there's so many of them mm-hmm. so we're like we're gonna do ones that are not related specifically to nintendo characters
1: yes uh, uh if you made it this far in, into the episode and you're expecting nintendo character pinball games i'm sorry but maybe next season or <laughs> the season after that
0: We're going to broaden your horizons here. We're going to teach you something new.
1: (laughs) I I definitely learned um, while researching for this episode, I learned a lot about uh, different types of pinball games I'd never heard about before, so I was very excited.
0: All right, well, tell us about the uh, the first pinball uh, game that you researched.
1: So the main ones that I researched is actually a series of games, Hmm. um, and it's the Crush Pinball series. And the Crush Pinball series, they were made by a company called Compile. Which you definitely know about, but you probably just don't r- realize that you know about them.
0: Do I? <laughs> do you know uh, Compile? No, I don't think I do. Like, not off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, yeah. So they, they actually worked on... Um, they were the, the creators of the Puyo Puyo series.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And, you know, which eventually uh, was taken over by Sega.
0: Right. And that's that's the one where you match the blobs, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. But I think before okay. that, it was a completely different genre. Well. Probably do a Puyapu episode at some point. But, um yeah, so Compile was working on uh, this pitball game. The first one was called Alien Crush. It was inspired by that movie Alien. Oh, okay. And it was released for uh, the Turbo Graphics 16 The thing that really set this apart was that it had the three screens, kind of like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this is back in 1988, so a little bit earlier than that. But also, like, the whole game... Wasn't really going for realistic pinball. It was like we are a computer game that is a pitball. And so you had different contraptions within the board that just weren't possible in real life. Oh, okay. For example, like you have like aliens running around that you could crush with your ball. You had like different things that you could open up by completing certain objectives and that would open up uh, mini games and, and bonus rooms and stuff like that. And overall, the game just had a really, a really, really creepy vibe to it, really <laughs> grotesque, <laughs> and so it kind of got like a cult following.
0: Yeah, I could see that.
1: And then two years later, Compile followed that up with Devil's Crush, which just kind of took the same ideas and themes of aliens Cru- of aliens Crush, but kind of notched it up by ten, <laughs> and the um, it just you know featured the bunch of skulls, skeletons, demons, really grotesque really creepy uh the board the main part of the board has this woman's face on it that you can just hit with a pinball over and over again she becomes more more
0: demented i was gonna say to like her flesh melts away and she's uh, like a skull yeah, yeah
1: she's like a uh, skull demon and um the music on it is so good really yeah so I, I was actually playing through it a little bit um early earlier this week, and i have to say the music is so so good
0: All right, I'll drop a little bit right here so everybody can have a a quick taste.
1: Uh, So, yeah, it was also really popular. And then um, they decided to release a version of it for the Sega Genesis, which was called um, Devil Crash Mega Drive in Japan.
0: Was it, you said devil, devil Crash or Devil Crush?
1: My notes here say Devil Crash.
0: Okay. Just, just making sure.
1: The Sega Genesis one, it has, like, better graphics, but I think the uh, Turbo Graphics style is actually better.
0: Oh, okay. Like, it looks better.
1: It just has a better cohesive look. Like, Sega Genesis, like, they really tried to, like, turn everything up a little bit more to, like, really be like, oh, yeah, this is, like, you know, the full power of the Genesis. But kind of loses its charm.
0: Mhm. And just a quick note for our listeners out there, the Mega Drive is the Sega Genesis. It's just the other name for it that's used in other parts of the world.
1: Yeah. The the Mega Drive, the US Mega Drive version was really good. Uh got really well received, and so they decided to release a spin-off called Dragon's Fury. And that one was actually produced by Tengen. It's pretty it's like it's pretty noticeable that it's an uh, imitation like it follows a lot of the same tropes. It's just not as quite as good as the other ones, the, the original Crush pinball games. Finally, um, Compile came back and they decided to make a third entry into the series. And that was called Jackie Crush.
0: Jackie Crush, like Jackie Chan.
1: J-A-K-I, like uh, it's like a demon in Japanese.
0: Oh, all right, all right. A little different.
1: And this one was actually released for the Super Famicom, and it never made its way to the West, which is really unfortunate because it's also really, really good.
0: Oh, it's like the best one.
1: I would say it's it's definitely on par with Devil Crush. Hmm. The faces and and the animations on it, it all of it, so, so super super creepy. I will definitely be posting images on the memory card account because there's just so many good screenshots of this game. So after that, like compile went bankrupt several years later. And so there was not really any other Crush games for a long, long time. Oh, no. But I think Hudson Soft owned all the um, IP. So later in um, 2008, they actually decided to re-release the, um, the first two games on the Wii Virtual Console. And so following that, they also released a uh, WiiWare downloadable game called Alien Crush Returns. Oh, cool. Which was developed by Tamsoft and published by Hudson Soft.
0: Man, I didn't think there was going to be so many entries in this. This is crazy.
1: It's it's all over the place because of IP rights and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With um with Alien Crush Returns, it's a little bit shorter. It's it's noticeably different because it's not made by a Compile, but there's like actually a story mode in this game where you have to like take on bosses and stuff like that, and the whole plot revolves around. These people out in space, they're like in Jupiter, on one of their moons, and like all of a sudden they have to fight aliens with pinball. Of course. (laughs) The graphics on it look really cool for the Wii, but like it just it feels totally different from the other ones. Definitely watch a video of it because it's 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 pretty interesting to see what they do. Hmm. The, The Crush series just has a huge huge cult following. A lot of people. Love the games because they're really good um, virtual pinball games. And so because of that, there was actually uh, one indie game that tried to recreate that spirit. It was called uh, Demon's Tilt, which is a, a lot of people in the Crush fandom, I think they kind of see Demon's Tilt as like the spiritual successor of Devil Crush.
0: Right. And I knew about that one before I knew about the originals, because I think it was on uh, Xbox Game Pass and I downloaded it just like, hey, this is like weird, like, I can give it a shot. Mm-hmm.
1: Demon's Tilt was uh, made by Adam Ferrando. And um, yeah, it was released in 2019 for the Win- for Windows, PlayStation 4, Xbox One and Switch as well. And it's, it features a lot of the same themes as Devil Crush where it's like a huge screen and you have lots of different objectives and different ways to get bonuses and and bonus rooms and stuff like that. So definitely check that out if you're interested in a modern take of the Crush formula. That sound means that we're putting the episode on pause just for a moment so we can briefly explain how you can support Memory Card.
0: If you enjoy our content, you can show your support by leaving positive reviews on your podcasting service of choice Four or five stars and a few kind words go a long way when it comes to convincing others to give the show a listen, so please do so if you find the time.
1: Spreading the word is also super helpful. If you know anyone who's into gaming or history, or maybe even both, you should consider sharing memory card with them. Every season, we strive to reach a wider audience, and you can
0: help. If you're feeling extra supportive, you can head over to Patreon.com MemCard. Every single one of our patrons gets access to early and ad-free episodes. Higher tiers include bonus episodes, shoutouts, stickers, and more. We certainly hope you'll check it out and consider becoming one of our lovely patrons. Once again, that's Patreon.com M-E-M-C-A-R-D.
1: Oh yeah, I put my uh, memory card sticker on my phone case. Uh, where'd you put yours?
0: Uh, Yeah, I slapped one on my laptop, and I also put one on my skateboard helmet. Wait, you got more than one? Thanks for taking the time to hear us out. Let's get back to the show.
1: I know you can hear me.
0: All right, are you ready to hear about uh, the most demonic pinball, though? Oh. Beats it out, and it's called Sonic Spinball. (laughs) Ooh. Everyone knows that Sonic is a demon. We're going to dive deep into that.
1: He's the blue devil.
0: That's right. (laughs) So Sonic Spinball um, is obviously a game about Sonic the Hedgehog, who has um, not like become a pinball due to any curse. But you know, he's always rolling up into a ball anyway. So you might as well, uh, you know, just kind of bat him around. And uh, this game, which uh, came out in 1993, was actually the result of Sega realizing that they were not going to be able to get Sonic the Hedgehog 3 out in time for the big holiday release. And so um, in a a bit of a panic, they uh, said, okay, we have this staff at the Sega Technical Institute, which was in California, American staff and some Japanese staff. And they were like, we're going to have the American side of things focus on Sonic Spinball, this new game, we're going to have the Japanese team focus mostly on Sonic 3, Sonic and Knuckles, you know, the main series in the game. And there was a little bit of back and forth. I think they moved some important Japanese people over to help and make sure that the Sonic Spinball kind of like got off the ground correctly. And the idea for Sonic Spinball actually came from the casino levels in Sonic 2 when players were polled about like their favorite levels most of them said that the casino levels were like the most fun because there's like lights and there's noise and you can bounce off of stuff and they were like okay well you know we can't do gambling sonic you know sonic blackjack or whatever so i guess we'll shoot for uh pinball which if you listen to the last pinball episode you know has some uh, some gambling background a little bit mm-hmm. sonic spinball is actually one of the few sonic games that's not set in the original Sonic universe it's actually based on the um animated series Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh. So there's n- not many games at least uh, back in the day that are set in that universe, but it does have like the classic, you know, Sonic and Tails are going up against Dr. Robotnik who has built a fortress on top of a volcano to transform animals into robots. Which when I read that I was like, is he taking living things and making them robots? But then I realized he's just putting like living animals inside of robots to power them, which which makes a lot of sense. I guess I didn't really think about it because I didn't play a lot of Sonic games, but when you jump on bad guys, like little birds fly out of them and stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, that that was in Sonic one and two.
0: Right. So he's just like he's up in production here. He's trying to get more evil robots out there. So yeah. as Sonic and Tails fly in, Sonic gets like shot out of the air and ends up beneath the volcano. And thus you must help pinball him up uh, and destroy the, the machinery. And then eventually, you know, Robotnik himself. It's a little different than the, a normal pinball game just because they tried to add in some elements of platforming. Like you can shoot Sonic up, and then if he goes by an edge, he'll like grab onto it and pull himself up and just kind of stand there. And then you could make him jump, you know, in a certain direction. So the platforming elements are there, but the pinball part is definitely like the main thing that they were shooting for. And I guess because they had to kind of like crunch this game out so quickly, they had to make it in under a year, which was kind of unheard of at the time for like a big, you know, launch title. Yep. They had to change programming languages like halfway through. Oh, and uh, like I said, they had to bring in like, you know, help from Japan. I guess within like two months, like 61 days, it says here between June and August, they built it from like a very rough playable build to a completely done game which is like super wild Mm -hmm. right before the game was about to ship like literally weeks before the team who was working on sonic spinball was informed that sega did not own the rights to the sonic the hedgehog theme (laughs) like the you know that one um apparently it was and possibly still is owned by japanese band dreams come true who wrote and composed the soundtrack for the first two sonic games. And so the lead composer, whose name was Howard Drossen, had to write a new theme within two hours so they could get it, like, put into the game and sent out. Oh, jeez. Which just sounds like the most, like, terrifying thing. The game sold well, um, despite the uh, people working on it kind of being worried that it had been rushed out the door. But it actually uh, did really well. It actually did well enough that they decided to, like, demake it for the master system, you know, bring it down from 16 to 8 bits. And uh, it came out for that. It was a little worse, obviously, you know, in looks and performance. Yeah. And then they also decided to come out with a Game Gear version of it that also sold decently well. And um, if you own any Sonic collection, Sonic Mega Collection, Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection, Sega Smash Pack, mm-hmm. Sonic Gems Collection, it's on there. It's always on there. They bundle it and everything. It's been released on the Wii's Virtual Console, it's been released on Steam. Um, I think you could actually play the. Game Gear version of it in Sonic Adventure DX on the GameCube. Mm-hmm. The last thing I have on Sonic Spinball is that there was a roller coaster that opened in 2004 that was called the Spinball Wizard. And then in 2010, Sega paid them to rebrand mm-hmm. it as Sonic Spinball, the official roller coaster, even though it had literally been like almost you know, 20 years since that game had come out. <laughs> and uh, it was to promote uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, like four, I think, the ones that came out on the mobile games. And uh, eventually it was rebranded back to Spinball Wizard. So sorry, sorry, roller coaster enthusiasts. You cannot ride the Sonic Spinball coaster anymore.
1: I remember Sonic Spinball like that was like a really great game. I think I just rented it. I didn't I don't think I owned it, but I remember playing through it and having a lot of fun with it.
0: It got decent reviews. I don't think it was quite on par with the normal adventures, but. A lot of people seem to have a lot of love for it. Yep. Watching some playthroughs, it seemed like there were some really creative parts, and the boss battles were interesting. You mm-hmm. had to collect the different chaos emeralds as you went through to destroy the machinery because that's what's powering them. So it powers everything.
1: I mean, like if you're thinking about like what video game characters can be like the, just the ball and a pinball, Sonic makes a lot of sense.
0: I think he makes like literally the most sense. I mean, there are round characters like Kirby and stuff like Pac-Man. Yeah but sonic puts himself into a ball. <laughs> yeah. He's not like round yep. by design. Uh we I mean, just standing in there.
1: Yeah. So it gives you the option for platforming like you talked about. They they do in the game and everything.
0: Yeah. All right, push, you got a little one for us?
1: Yep. The next one that I want to talk about is actually the one that probably everyone over the age of 15 knows and that's uh 3D pinball for window- Windows the Space Cadet
0: oh (laughs) man i love that that's like that was like my go-to game i feel like on like school computers and stuff yeah because it was built it was built into everything
1: yes so it originally was a package with um windows plus 95 which had like a bunch of games um i think we talked about it in one of the earlier episodes that we did um in memory card Mm -hmm. but um yeah, and then it was also it came out for Windows uh, two thousand, Windows ME, Windows XP. So if you had a computer for, I think two thousand one, you probably played this game.
0: <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a Mac.
1: Yeah, it w- wasn't a Mac, and or you know you encountered it at school and stuff like that. This version was actually developed by a guy, a guy named uh, David Plummer. It was actually a port. Huh. It's uh, not an original game made by Microsoft. The original game. It was actually licensed by uh, Maxis.
0: Oh, the ones who make the SimCity games and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a company called uh, Cinematronics. They were commissioned. They're a bunch of like independent artists and programmers and stuff like that. And they were basically commissioned by Maxis to make a pinball game for the co- computer operating system, because Maxis was having a lot of success with like the various Sim properties. But they were like, oh, we should try to branch out a little bit more. And so decided to try pinball at the time windows microsoft was like trying to think of ways to promote their operating system and it just so happened that they encountered this game and they're like okay we'll license one table it will actually be a demo
0: (laughs) of the game oh i didn't even know that could you buy more in the actual thing could you buy more you could buy more uh tables really
1: yes there's actually more tables the full game is actually a little different but if you look very, very closely at the Windows XP or earlier built-in game, the, the free version, the bumpers on the sides, they actually say Maxis and Cinematronics. Oh. But they're like super dark red, so they're very, very hard to read.
0: I'm sure my colorblind eyes would have an easy time.
1: <laughs> In addition to that, like when you go into the About uh, pinball game, it doesn't say anything about it being like a demo, really. It just says like you can call Maxis to like order the full game, but it doesn't like really say anything about ordering the full game or anything like that about this is a demo or this is a limited version.
0: So it wasn't like a, like a DLC thing like today where you could say, oh, I want to upgrade and then you would download it. You'd have to actually ship a new game to your house, right? Put the disc in.
1: Yeah, you'd have to buy a CD.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes more sense. I don't know why I was thinking it was just like a, you know, buy the whole thing now button.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, the one that came packaged in with Windows was um, also only supported 640 by 480 pixel resolution, whereas the full game would support uh, 1024 by 768. Uh, There's also a couple of other changes with the full game. The splash screen was changed. The little graphic on the side, uh, if you remember, it had like a cartoon guy Mm -hmm. in a spaceship. That was like updated to like a full, realistic looking spaceship in the full version.
0: I can't remember the last time I actually played this.
1: So the actual game was called Full Tilt Pinball. It featured three tables. So there was Space Cadet, which is the one that was packaged in Windows. There was another one called Skull Duggery, which was a pirate themed one where you could like you had to like find pieces of a map and try to find a buried treasure. Ooh. And then there's also uh Dragon's Keep, which is the third one, and that one's like the RPG kind of version.
0: Sounds like more fun.
1: Even though a lot of people don't realize that Space Cadet was a demo, uh the game did well enough and it did receive a sequel called Full Tilt Pinball 2. Huh. And that featured three different tables and that those were mad scientist Alien Days and Captain Hero.
0: Captain Hero. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the most generic superhero name I've ever heard in my life. They're just like, okay, we, okay, we give up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I
1: don't know if it's like success that everyone still remembers Space Cadet and failure that no one realizes that it's a, actually a
0: demo. I had no idea. I'm I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I had no idea either. Are either of those two games for sale anywhere like on Steam or Microsoft actually had plans
1: to include the space cadet in newer versions of Windows. But there was an error when they moved over to 64 bit uh processor Mm. that it wouldn't do uh hit collision correctly. So they ended up dropping it.
0: Man. Didn't want to work it out, huh?
1: Yeah, they were like, oh we can't figure it out and we couldn't resolve it. And then I think there was also some issues with the licensing because um, you know, they would have to work with Maxis again to relicense it. Right. Um I don't think you can buy it anywhere.
0: Yeah, if you're looking for it, you might just have to watch some uh, footage of it online instead and, and live vicariously through those people.
1: Or download an old version of Windows.
0: Yeah. All right, Push, you ready for the last one? Yep. A thrilling conclusion. So the last pinball game we're going to be talking about is Obama, who we all know um, is the 44th president of the United States. Yep. Oh, no, wait, hold on. Oh, that's Obama. Oh, Ah. Yeah. I get them confused sometimes. so
1: They're essentially the same.
0: <laughs> I love it when Barack Obama rolls up into a ball and he crushes all his enemies. That's my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> Odama literally means great ball in uh, Japanese. And this was a game that came out for the GameCube in 2006. And it was actually the last GameCube exclusive game that Nintendo published because... They also published uh, Legend of Zelda: Twilight Princess, but that game also came to uh, the Wii, so technically it's not a GameCube exclusive. So that's an interesting little fact. Um, so it came out right there at the end of the GameCube lifespan. I think a lot of people kind of ignored it. They were looking forward to you know new new systems, new games, and this is a extremely unique game. It was developed by Vivarium Inc. Who um, has a chief designer by the name of Ute Yute Saito, whose real name is Utaka, I believe, Utaka Saito. And uh, he is best known for coming up with the Dreamcast game Seaman, S-E-A-M-A-N, just in case you were curious about that spelling, <laughs> um, which definitely deserves its own episode at some point. It's It's essentially a sim game where you take care of a fish that has a realistic human face. And I, if I'm not wrong, I believe that is actually his space. That is Ute's space on the fish that they modeled it after. So this guy, uh, here's a good connection to our last one. He made a game where you manage this tower. Mm-hmm. And um, it was released in Japan, uh, I believe, just as like called The Tower. Um, later it was called Ute's Tower. But elsewhere, it was published by Maxis. And they called it Sim Tower. So if you've ever played Sim Tower, that was uh, that was his doing. It was kind of a big deal for him at the time. You know, he mm-hmm. was really young when it came out, and that kind of launched his career. Now in Seaman, you can talk to the, the your fish um, via a microphone that came with the game. And apparently um, Ute really loved that idea because Odama is a pinball game where you have to talk to your soldiers that are on the battlefield mm-hmm. because it is set in feudal Japan. You're basically battling to destroy uh like an opposing army that's way bigger than you and all you have is this like legendary ancient weapon, which is a giant pinball, uh boulder, and you have your small group of soldiers. So the game came with a microphone for the GameCube. It would like hook to the top of the controller and you would just shout orders into it very, you know, brief. Things like, you know, advance or move left, move right. I think there's some things where you can like, you know, flood the river, that kind of stuff. And then while you're doing that, you have to manage where the ball is going, you know, using your giant pinball flippers. And uh, the the kind of scary part is that the ball can crush your men as well as the uh, opposing people. So you really have to be careful about like the positioning of everything and like where it's going. So the GameCube microphone... Probably best known for Mario Party. I believe it was included or supported by Mario Party Six and Mario Party Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some karaoke games that also used it, and I think it also showed up in, in Chibi Robo. You, you could talk to certain things, but it wasn't like necessary. Yep. Looking around online, you can't play this game. You can't beat this game without the microphone. So if you find a used copy of Odama, you kind of have to like find a microphone as well um if you want to actually play it correctly the most interesting thing i found out about this which like brought the biggest smile to my face was that when they um debuted odama at the electronic entertainment expo in 2004 you know 2 years before its release there was a two player mode where one person used the dk bongos <laughs> and they just like smashed them to give the troops morale like yeah like you know to pump them up that's awesome yeah and also to distract the enemy troops by you know causing like wild noise and i'm like man that is the most like unnecessary second player activity i've ever heard of but it sounds like it'd be so much fun but you can imagine if someone's shouting orders and trying to focus on that and you're like next to them hammering away on a bunch of drums <laughs> they might be a little distracted so by the time it showed up the next e3 uh, there was no more Bongo Drum support, which is, you know... Unfortunate. <laughs> kind of disappointing, yeah.
1: More games um, c- could use the Bongo support. They
0: could. Uh, it got me thinking about the fact that there's only, like, you know, the Donkey Kong series and Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. That's, like, it. There yeah. should be more. The actual storyline of the game has some fun references to Nintendo. You actually are working for the Yamanuchi Clan, which I believe is a, uh, a reference to the former president uh, or presidents, uh, the Yamauchi. Mm-hmm. So they, they threw a, a few extra letters in there to make it stand out. Your clan is actually trying to preserve the way of the Nintendo, or uh, it's, it's like Nintendo and then Dash and then DO. So maybe it's Nintendo, which is a philosophy that means the way of heavenly duty." Definitely throwing some, uh, some fun, you know, references in there to the actual Nintendo publisher. I found the GameCube website for this game is still up mm. and there's like official desktop backgrounds you can download and some of them are like absolutely horrifying like giant heads with like spider legs and there's like half naked yeah. men like stabbing it. It's really weird. <laughs> it is a very very odd game. But that's that's what makes it so great. And that is our official cavalcade mm-hmm. of uh pinball games. Hopefully listeners enjoyed it. We might come back as push said yeah. with a pinball focused episode that uh, goes more in depth on nintendo games like metroid pinball kirby pinball pokemon yeah. pinball but that remains to be seen
1: yeah I, I really want to talk about pokemon pinball the first one
0: got that rumble the rumble factor right yeah well i gotta go uh bid on this new inbox copy of odama gotta remortgage my house
1: best of luck. That's all for now. Thanks for listening.
0: Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamitar. You can find more of his banging beats by searching Jamitar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Jamatar.com.
1: If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow, or you can visit our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at superbentendo and at pushdustin respectively
0: have you considered supporting memory card on patreon if not we hope you will currently we're supported by quite a few awesome people all of which get access to early ad-free episodes these people include Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, Harrison, Jorge Bajija, Manuel Vitella, Ray Schneider, Shala, Nick Callas, Sandra L., and Robert Melville. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll
1: be back really soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you soon.